Welcome back to another episode of the Armchair Theologian. As you can tell by the wonderful trees behind me, the glorious sun that's shining on my face, and my squinty eyes that I have decided to take this episode of the Armchair Theologian outside. Uh, it's a glorious and sunny day this uh, today here in Alaska, and I thought that this would be a perfect setting as we uh, start to look at a new sort of uh, small short series that we'll be doing on the next few Wednesday nights on spiritual formation. Uh, we'll also be discussing this in our Sunday school as we begin to come back together face to face. So for those of you that are living in and around the Kenai area um, and you would like to get back together and do more of a face to face Sunday school, we will resume our Sunday school uh, not this Sunday coming up, but the one after. And uh, we'll begin a program we're going to be going through what, what I call and what most folks call spiritual formation. And so I thought this would be a good time on our Wednesdays to just take a few minutes to discuss what spiritual formation is, uh, why do we do it, and uh, what is hopefully going to be the outcome. I'm just going to take a few minutes of your time and we'll go through it. I'm hoping to have some questions up in the comments, uh, so I hope that uh, you will be able to carry on this discussion beyond just uh, the short video that you've, you'll be watching. So, that being said, I'm going to jump right into it. So, what is spiritual formation? I think that's the question that a lot of people ask. When I first started my journey in uh, in this Christian ministry now that's been going on almost 25 years, um, that was the big focus on the first seminary that I went to, and it's also been the focus on the next two seminaries that I was uh, I was fortunate enough to attend, um, because the adage that we minister out of who we are is uh, seems to run pretty uh, pretty concurrent in all these uh, seminaries that we've been going to, and the professors that I had the privilege to study under were incredibly concerned about um, where we are as individuals, where we are as leaders, and because he they knew as well as I did that um, uh, that we, again we minister from where we are, and so that being said, that was sort of the focus of it. So spiritual formation is really just the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ uh, for the glory of God and for the sake of others. That's the basic definition that you can probably find anywhere if you Google it. Um, one of the passages of Scripture that we use as a foundation for this, which is what we'll be looking at a little bit today, is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. And so the idea here is that uh, spiritual formation is all about us conforming ourselves through submission in an organic, lifelong, holistic way um, to be more in, in tune with God's will and His heart and His Spirit. And so this is, it's easier said than done, and I know I'm, I'm probably making this more wordy than I have to be. Um, theologians had three complex Latin-y sounding words um, that they use to describe this, um, and I call them the three O's. So you have orthodoxy, you have orthopraxy, and you have orthopathy. And so orthodoxy is right thinking, orthopraxy is right behaviors, and orthopathy is right feelings. And so um, these are the three things that God wants to bring into focus. Uh, we call that the, uh, we call mankind uh, a triparatite being. Um, that means mind, body, and soul. And we get those three, uh, the three sections, if you will, um, 
uh, also is as a reflection of, G, of, of of the Trinity, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So those three things tend to be really um, a, a major part of theology as uh, uh, Christians from the earliest ages were um, figuring out how they were going to live the way God wanted us to. We see this uh, oftentimes as we are following Christ in this organic, lifelong way, this um, some people call it the holistic process. Um, uh, other people call it just simply sanctification. Um, there's a lot of words for it, but basically, it's how we move from uh, from our in our walk with life. As we are walking closer with God, we become more united with Him. Uh, the the individual in in Scripture that probably was the most um, the most spiritually formed of all mankind that I can tell would probably be Enoch. Uh, the Bible says that he walked with God and was no more. The idea there is that um, that he became so close with God that um, uh, God just took him home. And we don't really know uh, what that means. It's just one of those passages in the Old Testament um, that he was there and he wasn't. And, um, and God took him. And then, of course, it, it spawned all kinds of theological thoughts, questions that people have been trying to figure out for a really, really long time. So, that being said, uh, we want to see this spiritual formation um, occur in all of us, and that's the goal. Um, the idea really comes down to submission. It's how we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, um, because the reality is is that spiritual formation is all about the Holy Spirit. He is our guide um, in this process. Jesus said that when he left, he was, he was sending the Comforter. He was sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was the one that was going to be guiding this process in us. Um, so how does this uh, spiritual formation happen? Um, it's interesting, you know, Scripture defines Scripture. And so uh, when we're talking about spiritual formation... And Jesus speaks about this uh, in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. He says this, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Uh, he who believes in me, believes in me, as the scripture said, from, the, from his innermost being, from out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Um, and Jesus spoke about the spoke of this as he was speaking about the Spirit, um, and about those who believe in him receiving the Spirit um, that was not yet given at the moment when he was talking about that, because he had not yet been glorified. Now that's basically a, a quote and a paraphrase of John chapter seven verses thirty-seven through thirty-nine. Um, so, in light of that, we need to understand that God is wanting deeply for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Um, and that is what everything in our life is really geared towards. All our relationships, all of our jobs, all of our um, experiences, good, bad, and indifferent. Everything is moving us um, to be a great, to that greater um, conformity to the mind and heart and spirit of Jesus Christ. And so, that being said, I want to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, um, just 17 and 18. Um, it's a powerful passage, and I would definitely encourage you to read the whole chapter. Um, we just don't have time for the course of this study to be able to do that. Um, but in the midst of it, you know, Paul writes some really good stuff. Like in verse 12, he says, this is in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, he says that we have such a great hope and we use boldness in our speech because of that great hope. Um, and then he goes on to draw a comparison between Moses and um, and and 
and the Israelites of old and how we are to look at Jesus and how Moses had to have a veil over his face because he was he was being conformed to the image of Christ. He was reflecting that glory, um, but the people around him couldn't handle it, and so they demanded that he wear a veil. And so he was uh, drawing a contrast between the veil that Moses wore um, whenever he, he dealt with the individuals um, to the veil that lies in the hearts of the um, of those that that know the God of Moses but refuse to accept Jesus Christ as being that same person, um, and we see that reflected in those passages. So when we get to verse seventeen, um, he is is closing out that argument. He says, "Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is liberty." But we all, with unveiled faces, behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord um, and the Spirit, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So this is the passage, and I, you know, I tell you, it's, it's a pretty powerful passage. It's also a difficult one to understand. Um, and in fact, the whole chapter is, is incredibly difficult. Uh, Paul is writing something that is so far beyond um, uh, anyone's understanding that for, for centuries now we've been trying to figure this out. And the reason why I know this is, is there is just a ton of scholarly works that have been written from basically the time after Paul dies um, by some of the uh, early early apostles like Clement in Rome that are trying to give uh, uh, sort of a commentary on what Paul is saying here. And it's it's just a difficult passage, and say is they just don't have an agreement um, completely on what the whole passage means. Um, and some people say that this argument is contrasting the ministry of of Paul and Moses. Some people say that Paul was um, was dealing with some struggles there in the first in that first church in Corinth, in Corinth, where they um, were uh, disillusioned with his ministry, and that they were um, looking at uh, a more of a, a ministry from Moses. Um, and saying that Paul really didn't have a, a, a justification to teach what he was teaching. Um, others say that uh, some folks had come from uh, Israel and were trying to uh, shift the focus away from uh, the the gospel message around Jesus Christ back to more of an Exodus Moses message, um, and so Paul is reaching right into that argument um, in discussing essentially uh, Exodus chapter thirty four, and so this uh, this entire chapter is sort of a commentary written by Paul um, in light of uh, the changing power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, and so. Um, Paul was writing about this. Now he's not arguing, and this is something that I think is important: is is Paul is not um, he's not arguing against his detractors. He's not trying to um, talk about false doctrine or heresies. He's merely talking about um, uh, about how we are conforming ourselves to Jesus Christ, and that's the most important thing he wants to really bring as he advances the understanding. Um, uh, of what it means to be truly conformed. Now he says that things like where there is the spirit of the Lord there is liberty. That's a powerful statement and so many folks try to look at, at that statement and this is the problem is is Paul's written a lot about liberty and law and so we oftentimes will attach uh, what Paul has said in other works to this particular passage, and we'll sort of jump over the context um, of what is being written in chapter three in Second Corinthians um, to get there, because we know where Paul's heart was. His heart was to um, preach about the liberty that's found within Jesus Christ—that's um, liberty from the law. Um, 
But that's not what's happening here. Paul is not talking about um, a freedom that is from the law. In fact, um, uh, if you look at the immediate context, um, he's not really talking about those deep theological issues. He's just talking about um, the freedom from the veil, okay? The veil that comes um, when we turn to Jesus Christ. And he says that in verses 16 and verse 18. He says that when we turn ourselves to the Lord, the veil is removed, and we're now able to step into the presence of God just like Moses. Now, that's a pretty powerful thing if you think about it. Um, up to that point, you know, Moses was being conformed to the image of Christ because he was seen meeting with God face to face. There was that interaction. He was getting, he was, he was being taught so deeply and he was coming into God's presence so much that he was absorbing and reflecting the glory of God so powerfully that he had to put a veil over his face because the people in Israel um, just weren't ready for that kind of uh, uh, authenticity and, and close to God. And so um, Paul was trying to say that just like Moses was able to go face to face to God, we also are able to, that there's no veil that stands between us and God. And that the whole process of our Christian walk now is, is it began with that removal of the veil at our, at, at our, at our second birth as we were born again into him. And then that, as that veil is lifted, we now can peer and face God face to face and become um, as, as Jesus said, closer than brothers. We can we can have that nearness and that closeness that we want to. Um, and the veil sort of represented the stiff-neckedness, um, the stiff-necked sinfulness of Israel and how they refused to, to bend and be obedient. And you see this time and again in the life of the Israelites as they went through that whole exodus process before they went into the Promised Land. They were constantly fighting against um, the, uh, the the obedience that God had for them. He said, you just follow me and I'll take care of everything, he says. And they were constantly fighting against him, fighting against Moses, um, and time and again, God was having to judge them. So this is what Paul is trying to reference there. He's not, he's not referencing false uh, doctrine or teaching. He's really trying to bring um, that in there. So in this new age, the, this age of the Spirit, if you will, um, where the Holy Spirit now dwells within us um, once we accept Christ, we don't need the veil. We don't need a blocker. Not only do we not need, need a veil to cover our face after we meet with God, we also don't need a veil to cover the Holy of Holies. So this is actually an illusion between the two veils, not just the one veil. And so I thought that was kind of neat if you look at that. Uh, but the understanding here is that God is uh, showing Paul through what this freedom and this boldness means um, because we no longer have to worry about that veil that stands between us and God and then us and mankind. Um, and so we have this freedom where we can speak boldly and openly and honestly proclaiming and defending the gospel. And so that's what it really comes, uh, that's what it comes down to. So Paul is, is, um, is bringing this out in verse 18 um, when he talks about, he's really focusing heavily on Exodus 34, um, verse 35. And he's bringing that commentary about that veil, like I was saying, and he wants to, to, to deliver us from that veil so that we, all of us, and he, he's very emphatic when he says we all can be those kind of Christian ministers. We can all see God that way as opposed to just Moses, who was the only one that was able to see and bear and behold the direct revelation of God's glory. And so that's kind of where we're at. Now, it comes to um, one, one, one word that I just keep getting stuck on over and over over and over again um, when I go through this passage, and that's the whole um, uh, mirror concept. Uh, so when, it, when Paul says, and I think it's uh, verse 18, 
um, he says, or yeah, verse 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Um, it's that beholding as in a mirror. That word mirror there is a Greek word. It's katapatrizo. It's the only place in the New Testament this word is found. And every time Paul pulls out this weird, obscure Greek word and throws it in there to give us an idea, it always makes me stand up and take notice uh, whenever we have an odd word. And uh, so this word, what does it mean? Um, unfortunately, we don't have any other words in um, in the Greek New Testament that gives us an idea. We don't have a uh, we don't have a parallel in the Old Testament either. Um, so, trying to understand this, oftentimes we have to go to um, secular classical Greek writers um, like Plato and some of these other ones to try to understand what it is that Paul um, was meaning here. So this word isn't found in the Bible but once but it uh, but it is found uh, pretty frequently in the writings in of the day and so Paul was pulling a word that was familiar to the readers of this letter um, but he was taking a word that was secular and he was transforming it and and making it Christian making it ours making it something that we can put in so it actually gives the idea come there's a there's a couple stories like myths that talk about magic mirrors um, and of course I'm not talking about Snow White we're not talking about uh, um, you know anything like that uh, but uh, one of the interesting things about this word catapachizo is that it's it's like a, it's a reflection almost like a miraculous mirror whenever we encounter God um, we uh, we are called into his presence and we cannot remain unchanged that's what that's what this whole thing is is that this whole mirror of reflection when Moses went face to face with God he came away changed and we as Christians can never fully encounter God the way he wants to be encountered and remain unchanged because just just coming into his presence causes us to be to be radically transformed um, beholding the glory of God will affect this transformation and will create a transformation in us in, in us as we are as we are really in many ways conformed or changed uh, that word metamorpho um, that's in there about changed we're transformed into the into the variable likeness of God and so the whole concept here of spiritual formation is one of transformation um, and reflection we are not called to be God we are called to reflect the glory of God, and we are the image of the living God. We are, imagio Deo is, is the word that we use in Latin. We are the image of God, and we are little Christs. We are called to bear that image to a world around us. And so, um, just like anything in our life, if we don't practice it, it doesn't get stronger. So what is spiritual formation? Spiritual formation is the gradual um, uh, consistent walk and growth in Christ as we're seeking to conform ourselves to his will, his word, and his love and his mercy and his grace. Um, to the very image of Jesus himself. And some of that we do by studying his word, by living uh, what we would consider a, a Christian life. Um, uh, other parts of it is done completely, and most of it's done completely by God, um, as he consistently puts us in circumstances and in situations that force us to grow, that force us to um, conform to that image. And so I'm going to leave it with that. If you are um, in the process of this, which I think most of us as Christians should be, um, we need to ask ourselves, how is God 
conforming me today? How is he conforming me? How did he conform me yesterday? Um, how am I more like Christ today than I was a year ago, two years ago, six months ago, a week ago? Um, if you can't answer that, if you if you look at your life like you're going back in a in, on Facebook and you're looking at pictures of yourself two, three, four, five, six years ago, and the things that you were doing then, the things that you're doing now, if you can't see a difference, you need to ask yourself. Um, why? Um, if God is not affecting a change in your life, is it because God's not in your life? Um, are you running a, a, this race in vain? Are you moving where God wants you to move the way he wants you to move? Or is this something that is um, that you're just doing because for whatever reason, culturally or um, I don't know. You know, it's I don't know what your motivations are. Uh, and that's the question you need to ask yourself. So are we... Um, catapretizos are we a miraculous mirror reflecting the glory of the living God um, are we being conformed to his image or are we living some perverted um, concept of that and I think that's something that we need to ask ourselves uh, so that being said um, that's as far as we're going to go today I encourage you to read through chapter 3 in the book of 2nd Corinthians and see what God would have um, have for you um, there'll be some questions in the comments that you can go over with and you're with your family and friends and I look forward to answering any questions or talking to you later about this as we continue to look this summer on what it means to go through a spiritual formation process so again I thank you for joining us on another episode of the armchair theologian Ms. Kim Thank you.